In John chapter 10, and in verse 10, we read that Jesus promised that He would provide an abundant life. He said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. We have spent time over the past several weeks looking at how Jesus provides the abundant life by helping us to, pro, uh, to overcome in many things that we face in this world, such as sin and anxiety, boredom and despair and even fear. And that's why I'm persuaded that what John wrote in 1 John 5, verses 4 through 5, we can have victory through faith that truly the opposite of that. Faith is the victory. And I want to conclude this series of lessons by illustrating one last point in that, that faith is the victory in overcoming these issues by looking at the way that Jesus guides us through grief. In this lesson, I hope that we will, we will consider the subject of grief and begin with spending some time just exactly what it is that we're talking about. Uh, the, um, again, going to the American Heritage Dictionary, we've spent, looked every one of these uh, issues up in the American Heritage Dictionary. It says, the deep mental anguish as that arising from, from bereavement. That is the definition they give for grief. Now, we might say, when speaking of grief, we might talk about sorrow. We might talk about, obviously, sadness or being mournful or even just having a, a gloomy outlook on life. But the feeling of grief can also be associated with fear and feel much like fear. Uh, a, a book written by C.S. Lewis called A Grief Observed, uh, he's quoted from there saying, No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. And, and truly, grief does have the ability to grip us, to, to, to hold on and to control us in the way that fear does. But before we get into the lesson, I, I want to point out that not all grief is wrong. That's not the purpose of this lesson, to say that if we deal with grief, that there's something wrong. Because certainly grief was an important part of, of man's life since the beginning, and especially an important part of Jesus' life. Turn over to John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we have the recording of a, a, a difficult time for Christ, a time where He had sorrow in His heart. We start reading in verse 32, uh, it says that when... Uh, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is the account of the, the death of Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, the close personal friend of Jesus. When you read of Jesus going to Bethany, you almost always read of him spending time with his friends here, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus while he is there. And in verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And in verse 35, Jesus wept. That describes to us the fact that Jesus, Jesus was moved by more than just the pain that he saw in, in those around him. And by more than, and certainly Jesus was seeing other things that we maybe don't come first to our mind. The fact that, that the creation that He created experienced death because of sin would have been on the, on the mind and the heart of Jesus. But when you get down to the, to the issue at hand, Jesus was grieving for the loss of a loved one, a friend. Someone close to Him had died. We have other examples of people grieving in the Bible. Turn over to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, in verse 1 and 2, 
Paul says, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Now if you read on through the chapter, you'll find his heart was sorrowful because of the rejection by his people, by the Jews of the Gospel. And that put great sorrow in his heart. He grieved over that. And in fact, in chapter 10, we see his response to that grief in verse 1, saying, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. But he had great sorrow in his heart over this. Having grief and expressing grief is an important part of overcoming traumatic experiences, such as the loss of a loved one. And it's an important part whenever someone rejects the gospel. That should move us to grief. And then we even have occurrences like Paul again in Acts chapter 20. You might remember this. Whenever he was leaving Ephesus, it recorded that the Ephesian elders gathered with him and they spoke for a while. And then as he began to depart, they were weeping and they were sorrowful because they knew they might that they would probably not talk to Paul again. Grief is an important part of our lives. So then... Why are we talking about it? What's there to be overcome? Well, the truth is grief can become a problem in our lives. Whenever grief makes someone useful in their service, it has become a a problem. When grief sends someone into a spiral of of this extended isolation, certainly whenever someone is grieving, sometimes they, they just want to be alone. Jesus, oftentimes when He was grieving, wanted to be alone. But this extended isolation where they are no use to themselves, no use to anyone else, They're not able to do anything because they are so overcome with grief. Or maybe they're not able to even comfort others. You know, we find that that God comforts us so that we can comfort others. If grief makes us unable to comfort others in their grief, then our grief has become a problem to us. So while there is a place for grief in our lives and in our hearts, it's imperative that grief not take control of us. Of our lives. And with the help of Jesus and with the help of faith in Him, we, we can make sure that that doesn't happen. So, how does faith in Jesus help us to overcome grief? Well, again, I would, I would remind us of who Jesus is. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2 and read with me verses 17 through 18. Therefore, in all things, He had to be made like His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that He Himself has suffered, being tempted, He is able to aid those who are tempted. Now this passage doesn't say that for in order for Jesus to relate with us, He had to go through these things. Jesus created us. Jesus created the emotions that we feel. He, he knows everything there is to know about who we are. But no one can ever say that, well, Jesus, you never experienced what I've experienced because this passage right here tells us He has. He became flesh and He lived the life that we live. And He experienced it probably everything that we can go through on an even higher level than what we experience. The loss of a loved one. Whether it be a, a spouse, a child, a friend, a neighbor, uh, just, just whatever that, that is, is incredibly hard for us to handle. And yet, as I mentioned before, Jesus' loss of Lazarus, His friend, was also His creation. The thing that, that He had created, He knew Lazarus in the womb. He knew every hair on Lazarus's head. And He knew Lazarus was dead because of the effects of sin in men's life. That is a hard thing to explain and to imagine. And yet Jesus encountered that. And Jesus shows us how to react to that as well. Turn back over to the book of Luke. Let's look back into the Gospels again. 
And let's look at another account of, of grief in Jesus' life that gives us a, a wonderful example of how to overcome in grief. In Luke 22, <clears throat> Luke 22, we see that while Jesus was in the flesh, another experience of grief, grief he had as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. In verse 39, it says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus' agony can certainly be described as grief. Grief over the coming persecution that he was about to experience. Grief over the, the flogging that would happen to him. Grief over the humiliation coming from his creation. Grief over everything that he was about to endure, especially the grief of having the weight of the world's sins placed upon him. You can hear that grief in his words on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is going through a hard and heavy ordeal and it brought agony to his heart. He was grieving in such a way, so intense was his grief that it describes a, a, a medical condition where the capillaries burst under the skin, even in the sweat glands, and blood is infused with sweat. Jesus had every opportunity here to respond to this grief by going away, by calling 10,000 angels. We sing the song sometimes. And the truth is, in the Garden of Gethsemane at night, he had every opportunity to do so, to hide. We read a little bit later that the soldiers come with torches. Jesus would have seen them long before they saw him. Have you ever thought about that? That he had the opportunity to say, here they come, I'm out of here. This grief is too much for me to bear. But we get the indication why he didn't do that in his prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. And therefore, Jesus teaches his disciples then how to find comfort whenever they are troubled and when they are grieving. The first one would be to believe upon him in the way that he believed upon God. In John chapter 1, we get a little bit, you know, we're told there about the Word in verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. And then in chapter 4, in verse 14, he goes on to say that, that he, the Word became flesh and, and lived among us. But then we get over to John 14. We understand that we're talking about Jesus in those passages, that Jesus was with God and He is God. But in, verse, in chapter 14, in verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus trusted in God. And he's telling his disciples, Trust in me. Believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So whenever we are grieving, 
The example that Christ leaves for us and the teaching that He leaves for us is to just trust in Him. Believe in Him. He is, he is not just with God. He is of God and is God. And He is gone to prepare a place for us. But then He also says in, verse, in chapter 15, verses 10 through 11, He says, if you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The, the, the opposite of grief would be that idea of joy. To battle grief, to, to, to lessen grief in our lives is to increase in joy. And Jesus says that your joy may be full, that you might have joy in your life, then you need to be in my love. And to be abiding in my love, to reside and live within my love, you must keep my commandments. And then he would add on to that in chapter 16 that we must be praying for that joy as well. We must be asking for it. It says in chapter 16 and in <clears throat> excuse me, verse 24, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. In verse 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus was telling them over and over again that to, to battle the, these troubles that we have in our life. Going back to, to, uh, to, to chapter 14 when he tells them not to be troubled. Well, he's, he's telling us to battle the troubles, to battle the grief and then the anxiety that we've talked about. Fear, so many of these things that, that correlate to these same verses. It comes in believing in who he is which prompts us to trust in Him and to keep His commandments, which prompts us to pray and to ask Him for the things that He has promised to give us to help us out during these times of need. And then also remember, as we talked about this morning, that this world, this world is not the, the end-all, be-all of everything there is. There is something greater that is coming. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verses 13-17, through 17, says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow for as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by, by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. For grieving for the loss of a loved one, a loved one in Christ. Remember that there's a promise of our resurrection. Now that doesn't do a whole lot for someone who's grieving the loss of a loved one that's, that's not in Christ, that's not covered by the blood of the Lamb, that has never believed in the Lord, never trusted in Him, never obeyed Him. And while it's true that we can't, we can't preach anyone in or out of heaven, maybe this passage would be helpful for, for in that situation as well. I remember very vividly a man coming to, to my family's house when, when a loved one of mine had a question about their father. And they said, I, are, how do I know? How can I know that my father is in heaven? How can I know that the things he did were, were things that were right? And the preacher said to them, well, we can't. We can't know. But if they weren't, if this was something that, that, that their life was just completely opposite of what the Scriptures was saying, and they could come back and they could tell you one thing, 
What do you think it would be? They thought about it for a while, and they said, I don't know. And he said, I think it would be that there is a life after death, and there is a resurrection, and you have a great hope in your life not to be worried about me, to focus upon yourself and focus upon the hope that is laid up in front of you. And I've held on to that for many years because that helps me to focus on where my priority needs to be. Whenever I'm grieving with the loss of a loved one, to remember the one, if they are in Christ, they have a great hope of a resurrection, of a life eternal with the Lord. But more importantly than that, I need to make sure that I'm thinking about that hope, about that resurrection, about that life eternal with the Lord. Jesus provides for us through his teachings and through his examples many comforts to help us to overcome our grief. And the last one that I want to look at is what he speaks about in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, he tells us that he's not going to leave us alone to these to the troubles that we have in our life. In verse 46, he says while he was it says while he was still talking to the multitude, his mother and his brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. And one said to him, "Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you." And he looks and says, "Who? Who is my mother and who are my brothers?" And I imagine the people standing around probably thought that's a really odd thing to say. The people we just told you, your family, the guys that you have lived all of your life with are here to speak with you. And he said, no, here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. He was saying, this is my family. Those who are like me, those who put God's will first, those who would desire to help others to put God's will First, that is my family. And that is what he has left us with. As we endure tribulations and trials and especially grief. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the church. And we read there that the church was the household of God, the family of God. In Mark chapter 10, another verse that we use from then, verses 29 and 30. Mark chapter 10, 29 and 30 says that those who have, have lost their, their mother and father and brothers and sisters and, and their farms and their possessions for the sake of the gospel, they've received a hundredfold that. Not that we have some sort of abundant wealth in this life, but that no matter what we might lose in our family relationships, we gain within the church even so much stronger. A family that is there to take care of us. And what is that family responsible to do? Turn over to Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12 and verse 15 gives us some instruction on what that family needs to be doing. It says that the family, in Romans 12 verse 15, should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And what that tells us is whenever someone in this life experiences something that's worth rejoicing over, worth going to God and being filled with joy and thanksgiving for it, that they don't experience that on their own. The church rejoices with that. The church is filled with joy that that person experiences. But the flip side of that is when someone loses a loved one, when someone has something in their life that is causing them great sorrow and grief, the church is grieving with them. The whole church is, in, is affected by that and responds to that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 26, we, 
We uh, alluded to this, this verse uh, a minute ago. It says there, in the same manner, that's 11, I apologize. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 and 26 says that there should be no schism or division in the body, but the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5 tells us we need to be comforting one another with the comfort that we have received from God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the suffering of Christ abounds in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. This is what God has left us. When we deal with grief, and we deal with sorrow. We deal with gloominess and mourning. He has left us the example of Jesus, the example of His apostles, the teachings which say, look to Him, trust in Him, pray, and He will. But if you abide in His commands, He will fill you with love and joy and peace. And here's a family as well, a support net to hold you up, to be there with you, to experience this with you, and to hold your hand along the way. But sadly, so many do not take advantage of this blessing, especially the blessing of a family. There are those who say, you sometimes hear, well, I, I don't go to church because I watch it on, on, on the TV. I get a, a religious program or a radio program, and that's, that's my churching. I've got that done for the, for the week. But where do we get the help, and where do we get the support, and where do we get the care of the church? If all we're having, I'm not talking about now, I'm, I'm not knocking having a, a televised, for, for those who are shut in, for those that, that aren't able to make it, I'm not talking about the radio programs being inherently wrong. But if that, is, if that is our experience with church, where is the help and the support that it was intended to be? How do we get that? How do we know what members of that church need our help and our support, and how are we going to receive their help and their support if that's all we get? And so many also... They, they understand that, so I'm going to belong to a church. I'm going to join myself to a church, but they never become involved in it. They're the last ones there and the first ones to leave. No one knows anything about them. And, and if that's the case, when grief comes their way, they should not be shocked to find that oftentimes they deal with that grief all on their own. Because no one knows. No one has got the opportunity to know. And Jesus did not want that. He did not intend for us to bear our grief alone. He taught us how to have lasting joy and lasting peace even in the midst of grief. He died and He rose from the dead so that our grief, even in death, might just be temporary. And now He intercedes as our high priest and, and to comfort us in our times of grief. He built the church. He built our spiritual family to comfort us as well in times of grief. For us to enjoy such blessings... For us to enjoy what, what, what we have in the Lord requires faith in Him. Faith in Jesus means believing what He taught. Faith in Jesus means believing what He did. Faith in Jesus means obeying His commands that we might abide in His love. And faith in Jesus means being an integrated part of His family, His brothers and His sisters and His mothers, the church. If we wish to overcome grief, Truly, the only way to do so is through faith in Jesus. If we wish to have a life in eternity with Him, 
Truly, the only way to do so is faith in Jesus. If there's any way and we can assist you this afternoon in becoming a child of God and coming to Him, or if somewhere along the way you have fallen by the wayside, you have stumbled, and you need the prayers of the saints, won't you please come forward right now and let it be known as we stand and sing.